Welcome. Thank you for listening. We're currently working our way through the book of Joshua, celebrating the God who keeps every promise he has ever made. If you're in the Milwaukee area and you're looking for a church home, we'd love to meet you. You can connect with us more through our website, harvestcommunity.org. We're going to continue worshiping this morning, seeing the God who has always been with his people. We just sang God with us. God has never left his people. He made promises to Joshua about his presence, and he never failed Joshua. He made present uh, promises to his people, and he never has failed his people, and he's made promises to us here today, and he's with us today. Our God never fails. So truly, as we go to his word this morning, it's not really a different part of the service. Uh, it's just continuing, exactly as Elsa prayed, continuing in worship. Let us see God in the book of Joshua this morning. In Joshua chapter 5, we're starting a completely new section of this book. We've been at it for a while now. I think we're in our second month in the book of Joshua. I absolutely love this book. And I've been kind of saving for the conclusion um, in some of these sermons, the connections to Jesus Christ. And I I won't save it any longer. I'll just, I'll just give it away right at the beginning. Joshua is always God through his Holy Spirit inspiring a book that it's at the beginning, the sixth book of the Bible, right? Near the beginning is always pointing forward to Jesus, always pointing forward to Jesus. And we're going to see him um, at every turn here this morning. Uh, But this does start a new section in the book. They've gone through the Jordan River, out the west side, and now are in the promised land. The people of God are now across the Jordan River. They've set up the 12 stones of memorial. Uh, Last week was all about remembrance, remembering what God has done. We said last week that it's through the remembrance of God's people for through the celebration of what God has done that all the nations will know that the hand of the Lord is strong. And so right here in Joshua 5 verse 1, we see this is happening. Let's read Joshua 5 and verse 1. When all the Amorite kings across the Jordan to the west and all the Canaanite kings near the sea heard how the Lord had dried up the water of the Jordan before the Israelites until they had crossed over, they lost heart and their courage failed because of the Israelites. It was just one verse earlier where we ended last week. Let's read that verse, Joshua 4, 24. Remember, God, if you if you missed this, you got to go back and read Joshua chapter four. In Joshua chapter four, the people sit on the east side of the Jordan River. And as soon as the priests step in, the waters part. They actually pile up in a huge heap and the people of God go through this river. This really happened. It was performed at the hand of God for his people. And they get to the other side. And why did all this happen? The people are supposed to celebrate and remember what happened. Why did it happen? For verse 24, the last verse, This is so that all the peoples of the earth may know, that all the peoples of the earth may know that the Lord's hand is strong. And so one verse later, we read what we just read, that the fame of God's power 
on behalf of his people is going not just with his people. Here's the point in verse one, not just with his people, but ahead of God's people. God is actually going ahead of his people, paving a victory for God's people, making victory possible before God's people even get there. Here's what I mean. So the people of Israel cross the Jordan River and are standing here and they have to go there. And while they are here, I I, I can sum up the whole verses 1 through 12 that we're covering today right here. God is at the same time with his people. Last week was all about remembrance. Today is going to be all about this, that God is indeed with his people, but he is also ahead of God's people. You see what I'm saying? So God is with his people here, calling them to go here to continue their journey towards the Mediterranean Sea, their westward journey. And God, before his people even get there, God is going ahead of them, preparing victories for them. And all the while, God is fulfilling his promises that he said, through your remembrance and celebration of what I've done for you, I will be known throughout all the earth. And God being known throughout all the earth is actually paving the way for the victory of God's people. Before the people ever get to Jericho, God's fame was there. Do you remember what Rahab said? This was a while ago, but in chapter two, verses 10 through 11, Rahab, this great woman of faith, we won't talk any longer about her old identity because we've covered the old identity. Now Rahab is known in scripture as this woman with a new identity celebrated throughout scripture. When the spies come to Jericho, she said this, we've heard how the Lord dried up the water of the Red Sea before you. That was the first water crossing when they came out of Egypt, when you came out of Egypt and what you did to those two kings, Sihon and Og, the two Amorite kings you completely destroyed across the Jordan. Here's what she said. When we heard this, we lost heart. The enemy in Jericho lost heart and everyone's courage failed because of you. For the Lord your God is God in heaven above and on earth below. Look, do you see the similarities? Now in verse chapter five, verse one, it ends with this phrase, they lost heart and their courage failed because of the Israelites. Uh, Harvest, this morning from verse one, I want us to see this. God is working right now here. God is in the battles in the moment But he's not just here. He's also ahead of his people working towards victory. And this is our God who's not bound by time. And this is why we worship him. It couldn't be proven any clearer or illustrated in any way. In fact, I was going through the introduction of this as I was finishing the sermon and I'm like, I have no illustration. I got no clever story uh, for this part of the sermon. There's no better way to picture this than Jesus Christ. Listen, God came in real time in the flesh. He sent his son, Jesus Christ, who is fully God and fully man. And he came 2000 years ago and entered into time. Just follow me. This is a, it's a little complicated, but not real complicated. He steps into time and he gets hungry and he gets tired 
and he gets worn out and he gets tempted and he gets betrayed and he loses friends and he experiences uh, the physical death of a friend and weeps at his grave. Jesus Christ is tempted in every way and he feels every weakness we've felt in time. Then he gives his life on the cross and goes into the grave. Now, unfortunately, probably everyone in the room has felt the pain of the grave of going of, of, of seeing our loved ones. It was just weeks ago that we laid my grandfather to rest in the grave. Jesus went into the grave, but then Jesus three days later came out the other side of the grave out the other side And he is at the right hand of God, the father in heaven, ruling and reigning. And Jesus did this so that we are no longer by faith in him, limited by time and subject to death as an ending. Jesus Christ now is both with us and ahead of us. He's ahead of us. He is in an eternal future with God and Jesus Christ will come back again. And Jesus Christ will raise to life, to eternal life with him in the presence of his father together, us in the new heavens and the new earth forever. So death is not a final thing for the Christian We have an eternal future with God. So God is working today, but God is also ahead of us. And this is what made the Christian church so undefeatable, so victorious while they were persecuted and beat down in its its infancy. And still today, 2,000 years later in parts of the world, the church is persecuted. Uh, I, 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 I know of a person right now in a country very important to me that's in prison for preaching the gospel. He was caught while praying for people during this, the pandemic for healing people who had COVID. Now he's in prison serving a one-year sentence. Undaunted. And, and, and the people of God have always been undaunted because they're not limited by prison, by disease, by even the grave itself, because they follow and are with Jesus Christ, who has been here and is now there. So God is with his people and God is ahead of our people. And what I'm calling Harvest to this morning, I'm I'm calling, I want to call us to a, a few distinctly Christian attitudes this morning. And last week, I I called us to be a people of remembrance. Today, I'm calling us to be a people of hope. Christians have always been a people of hope. Even when things are at their most grim and painful, the people of God have always been a people of hope because Christ came and Christ went up into heaven and Christ will come again. And by faith, we are with him already and the victory is ours. And so we move through this life in hope that God is here, but God is working ahead of us.
The second section of our passage this morning, verses 1 through 12, I'll read. At that time, the Lord said to Joshua, make flint knives and circumcise the Israelite men again. So Joshua made flint knives, circumcised the Israel men at Gibeath, Haraloth. This is the reason he circumcised them. All the people who came out of Egypt who were males, all the men of war had died in the wilderness along the way after they had come out of Egypt. Though all the people who came out were circumcised, none of the people born in the wilderness along the way were circumcised after they had come out of Egypt. For the Israelites wandered in the wilderness 40 years until all the nation's men of war who came out of Egypt had died, died off because they did not obey the Lord. So the Lord vowed never to let them see the land he had sworn to their ancestors to give us, a land flowing with milk and honey. He raised up their sons in their place. It was these Joshua circumcised. They were still uncircumcised since they had not been circumcised along the way. After the entire nation had been circumcised, they stayed where they were in the camp until they recovered. Then the Lord said to Joshua, today, I have rolled away the disgrace of Egypt from you. Therefore, the place is called Gilgal today. Basically, here's what happened. They are on the east side of the Jordan River. They miraculously crossed the Jordan River and they set up shop at Camp Gilgal with the memorial 12 stones. Joshua has been working with these 12 officials. And here's how I picture this is just my human brain about how the scene likely went. Okay. Joshua, the leader of all these people, they get through and everybody's just absolutely celebrating back at Camp Gilgal. Joshua goes in, yeah, just high fiving, and, and he's like, 12 leaders, ah, just quick huddle, just quick leaders huddle. And he gets them in, he's like, all right, I got some good news and some challenging news. <laughs> all right, what is, all right, we're gonna, we're gonna be celebrating the Passover. Oh, wow, so manna's gonna cease. We're gonna be, okay, here's the challenging part. Just bear with me. We gotta get some flint and make knives. And all the guys, including you 12, are going to get circumcised here. For those of you who don't know what circumcision is, you can come forward and talk to Bob Magruder afterwards or one of our elders. <laughs> oh, boy. You talk to Ryan Nagaki. Ask your parents. My wife told me, she goes, who's reading the passage on Sunday? If you make Elsa read scripture on Sunday, I'm going to be so mad at you. <laughs> so here I am. We will go through this together. What was God's original purpose for this? Where did this tradition come from? In Genesis 17, 11, God gives the command of circumcision to Abraham. Why? At the end of verse 11, it says, to serve as a sign of covenant between me and you. The circumcision was this individual entrance rite. It was a, a sign. That's the word I want to use this morning. It was a sign for the men of Israel to be in a covenant commitment relationship with God. I also want to use the word set apart. This is how the people of God were 
set apart from the nations around them. And it was a sign that they were entering into a covenant relationship with God. And so the reason why this has to happen is is very obvious. It's explained uh, for us well in verses two through nine. The whole generation that was in slavery in Egypt was circumcised. They went out into the wilderness and through the sin of a sin and rebellion of disbelief. They didn't believe the promises that they could even get into this promise uh, land. They believed the giants were too big. They believed the task was impossible for them. These people were punished and had to die off. This generation died off in the wilderness. The next generation after them is the generation we see in Joshua chapter five. And for one reason or another, at the conclusion of their wilderness wandering and their entrance into the promised land were not circumcised. This is the reason. And so they must be set apart in preparation for the task ahead of them. But it raises a question from silence that I actually would like to think through briefly. This generation, the fact that they need to be circumcised brings out the fact that the previous generation was, but the previous generation died off due to the sin of unbelief, okay? Just follow me here. The people that came out of Egypt went into the wilderness. They saw the crossing, the parting of the Red Sea. They saw the delivery of manna, of daily bread, of food in the wilderness. They saw water come from a rock. They saw the miracles of God, and yet they didn't have true faith that God could complete what he started and that generation died off. And so what we learn right away that is important for Harvest Community Church this morning is that being set apart does not mean saved. Okay, so... Just because that generation had been circumcised in obedience to the covenant God made with Abraham, that they would enter, enter a covenant committed relationship with God, that they would be set apart from the nations around them did not mean that they would end up continuing in the faith. It did not equal saving faith. And it's easy to apply in the story, but it urgently needs to be applied in this room today. Because insert baptism as a child. Insert beginning to attend harvest. Insert giving. Insert attending a small group or a Bible study. The religious culture around us, Harvest, is is showing us that the signs and symbols save us. You likely have been raised in a culture where you were saved by works. Statistically, interacting with you guys in like connections, lunches, and understanding the backgrounds that you come from. 80 plus percent of the people in the room are coming from a background where you really felt like if, if, if I do enough good, it'll set me apart 
and I will be in a right relationship with God. Or I was baptized as a child and then I was confirmed and now I'm coming back to church again and I, I have bad news and good news that this time is not uh, humorous as I pitched it the first time, but it's eternally sobering and serious. You can be in this room right now and you can have perfect attendance in a church and not spend an eternity with God on the other side of the grave. And I can't let our church go home. I can't let this gathering go home after this service without understanding the difference. And so I'm praying that the spirit of God would work in some of your hearts for the very first time. You see, none of us can solve the dilemma of a holy God and broken people. Each of us are broken. I heard a pastor tell me just this last week, he said it perfectly. You take a big window, pretend this is a big glass window. You're looking at it, throw a rock through it. All the shards of glass fall to the floor. Each of us are one of those shards of glass. We're all broken. We're different pieces, equally broken from birth. You, you, and you can't do anything. Not enough Bible study. You could be baptized five times. You could memorize the whole Bible. There's nothing you can do to be good enough to have a relationship with a God who's holy and perfect. God knew this. So back when I said that Jesus came, he came to solve that. So he came and he lived perfectly and fulfilled the whole law, all the expectations of God Jesus did for us. And he didn't get like awarded at the end of his life for keeping the law. He actually gave his life and was crucified on a cross, not just as some sort of sign symbol so he could be memorialized on a crucifix. Jesus shed blood for you and me. And he paid for all of your sins. They buried him and he didn't stay there. After three days, he rose again victorious from the grave. And Jesus Christ is alive today. Fully God, fully human. At the right hand of God, the Father. And if you right now in your heart, if you've never done this, I want to challenge you to do this this morning. You say, God, I, I could never save myself. And I know I'm a sinner. And I believe Jesus died to pay for all of my sins. I believe this, God. All of my trust and hope is in you. Would you save me? God will save you today and change your life today. And he'll change it continually forever. In fact, if you haven't done that, you should stop listening to the rest of the sermon and just sit there. There's nothing more important you could do. God is not thinking about your church membership, your infant baptism, your confirmation. Even if you were baptized here at Harvest, it's not your baptism that saves you. It's true God-given faith in what he's done. The sign can't save you. The sign can set you apart, but the sign can't save you. God saves you. And that's the message of two through nine. The sign can't save you, but God 
saves you. In fact, when we get to the end of, end of this section in verse nine, the Lord then says to Joshua, today I have rolled away the disgrace of Egypt from you. It's a play on words of the word Gilgal, which means circle. In Hebrew, they actually sound similar, roll away in Gilgal. God says, today I have rolled away the disgrace of Egypt from you. And before we leave this section, I'd like a chance to explain that to all the Christians in the room because there's something cool for us. I said there's bad news and there's good news. The, the, The bad news is that you might think you're a Christian and you're not. You may think that you have an eternal relationship today with God, but you don't. That's the bad news. And the good news is that God stands ready to save you today. And his mercy is more. And it's available to all equally. Equally. And it gets better because this last idea of rolled away is now going to talk to believers about a new identity There's a lot in these 12 verses today. We're going to be here for hours. (laughs) You rolled away their old identity. I find this fascinating. They go through this ceremonial rite. And as you could imagine, they have to stay in camp for days. I think that this is amazing. God's preparing them for victory. What, what general, what commander, what military advisor would ever do this? We're now in the promised land, but it's also enemy territory. And we have to go forward in battle. And God says, do something that's going to leave you stuck healing in camp for an extended period of time. It makes no sense. But this is our God just saying, just keep in mind, it's never you who wins the victory. You can't save yourself. I save you. And all the victories are mine. And furthermore, when you not only enter this covenant relationship with me, into this sign, but deep trust and faith. I give you a new identity. You see, if the people of God went extinct in the wilderness, there would have been this just shame. The Bible uses the word reproach. This, this idea that like, think of the Egyptians. They leave and sure they make it across the Red Sea, but all of Israel dies out in the wilderness. And the Egyptians are just like, we're fine and fed here that whole group that left us is gone. God says, no, 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 no. This group may have failed to have true faith, but my promises did not stop. I'm working in the next generation and the next generation and the next generation and the next generation. And I'm taking them all the way to the promised land. And so God says today to this people, I've rolled away. I've taken away the guilt and the shame, and I've given you a new identity. I was joking about the hours that will be here, but I do need to take a couple extra minutes because of what God taught me in my personal devotions this week. I'm in the book of Leviticus, which can be sometimes a tough slog getting through it, but it's so, so worth it. I want you to see God's plan for his people in Leviticus. Leviticus chapter 26 says, I'm the Lord, your God, who brought you out of the land of Egypt so that you would no longer be their slaves. I broke the bars of your yoke and enabled you to live in freedom. 
This is what God had in mind for his people, and it is still what God has in mind for his people today. In fact, when Paul was working with a troubled church in Galatia, here's what he wrote him in Galatians 5, verse 1. For freedom, Christ set us free. Stand firm then and don't submit again to a yoke of slavery. This is so rich. The next five verses actually talk about circumcision, putting it in its place, saying this can't save you. It's just a sign. It can't save you. God saves you. And I want to tell you this morning that not only is salvation from God, our new identity is from God. And that when God saves us, he rolls away the past guilt and shame. In the second century after Jesus, one of the church fathers named Origen said this, He said, no one, and he was talking about this specific verse in Joshua. No one, therefore, fears the shame of past sins if he has been wholly converted and has repented from the heart and by faith has parted the waters of Jordan. And Origen wants us to hear this. Today, I have taken the reproach of Egypt away from you. Uh, what, what, what I want to say this morning to you is this, that if you've placed your faith in Jesus Christ, you are, you have, and you are a new creation. Paul, a century before origin, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, said if any man or woman is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away, and behold, all things have become new. So right now I want to talk to those of you who have placed your full faith in Christ for your salvation, but the enemy who doesn't create anything new He likes to play on your guilt and your shame and your past. And he likes to hold you back. Oh, you could never, you could never do that because if people really knew about your past, oh, if people find out about who you are, oh, you, you could never do this. Don't you know you struggle with this? God never does that for you. God, that is never the voice of God. That is the voice of the enemy playing on your guilt and shame. And I want you to hear something very loudly. I won't yell, but I'm asking that the Holy Spirit just like absolutely shout it into your heart and shatter any bondage that is in there this morning. That because of God-given faith, you are a new creation. You are not in Egypt anymore. You are not in the wilderness anymore. You are entering the promised land in the victory of Jesus Christ. What you used to be, you aren't any longer. You are new, new men and women in this room. The enemy can try to hold you back. You did this. You used to be like this. You said this. What about this? When the God looks at you, he looks at you through Jesus Christ, the righteous. That's why we sing the song, before the throne of God above, I have a strong and perfect plea, a great high priest, Jesus, whose name is love, whoever lives and pleads for me. My name is graven on his hands. My name is written on his heart. I know 
that while Jesus stands in heaven, no tongue can bid me thence depart. I know that's old Shakespearean language, so let me update it for you. The enemy, the accuser, can tell you in your heart, you don't belong here. The enemy can even, he's he's known as the accuser of the brethren. He can even tell God, oh, don't, don't look at Caleb. Don't look at, oh, Ryan, Bob, oh, come on. Jesus stands firm saying, Father, I paid for all of that sin. I rose again new, and God looks at you through Jesus. And when God looks at you, he looks at you as a perfect, loving father, and there is no shame. There is no guilt. There is no past. If any man or woman is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old things have passed away. The reproaches of Egypt, the former slavery, the bondage, the guilt, the shame, and the sin is gone and you are new. And it is about time that we, myself included, start living out of that in full freedom. That's why Paul steps into this church dealing with a heresy about circumcision, actually. Dealing with beginning by grace, but then perfecting by works. And comes in and says, don't submit to a yoke of slavery again. So Harvest, I'm coming to you and saying, you are free in Christ. Be free, stand firm, live in your new identity. We need to go to our final section now. Joshua chapter 5, verses 10 and 12. Joshua 5, 10 and 12. While the Israelites camped at Gilgal on the plains of Jericho, they observed the Passover on the evening of the 14th day of the month. The day after Passover, they ate unleavened bread and roasted grain from the produce of the land. And the day after they ate from the produce of the land, the manna ceased. Since there was no more manna for the Israelites, they ate from the crops of the land of Canaan that year. We see in verses 10 through 12, our final section this morning, that God provides for his people. He provides the Passover meal just as he um, promised them. In Exodus 13, 5, the people were instructed that when they get into the promised land, they should celebrate with the Passover. They had the Passover when they were in Egypt. It marked a beginning for them. And they have the Passover now in the promised land. This marks the end of 40 years of wilderness wandering. They celebrate the deliverance of God. And in Deuteronomy 6, verse 11, God promises the people this. Houses full of every good thing that you did not fill them with, cisterns that you did not dig, and vineyards and olive groves that you did not plant. Manna, the food God provided in the wilderness to sustain them. If you're not familiar with manna, God miraculously provided food from heaven for the people that they would collect each morning. And this right here in Joshua 5 stops. It stops because now they're being fed in the promised land from the produce of the land. And this is a beautiful thing. God's people are no longer wandering, but they're being fed in the promised land. But as we conclude this morning, I want to call us to a Christian attitude, one that I think is distinctly Christian this morning. And that is an 
that is an attitude of contentment in simplicity. I want to call us to contentment and simplicity because we have a loving father, Jehovah Jireh, a God who provides for his people. And I want to see it here. This was the land flowing with milk and honey. You would think they would get in and it would be this full on feast, right? But what do they have? The day after Passover, they ate unleavened bread and roasted grain from the produce of the land. They actually have basically locally made cereal. I've been eating cereal my whole life. One of my good memories is like as a kid, I remember my kids will never understand this, but we had at the breakfast table our cereal and then we had the cereal box as the entertainment. There there was no iPad. There wasn't a phone. There's activities if you got lucky. But sometimes my brother Joel and I would fight over who gets what side of the box. So he'd have the cool activity on the back. I'd be stuck with like the nutritional information. They basically, they no longer have the manna, but now they have grain, some sort of cereal, some sort of locally made cereal. And Dale Davis wrote this. I'm going to give you the whole quote because I think it's beautiful. We must be aware of thinking that God is only in the earthquake, wind and fire, of thinking that manna, but not grain is God's food. Most of God's gifts to his people are not dazzling and gaudy, but wrapped in simple brown paper, quiet provisions of safety on the highway, health of children, picking up a paycheck, supper with the family, all in an ordinary day's work for our God. I think this is beautiful for obvious reasons, and I don't have time to unpack this this morning as it relates to our culture. Because I speak this in quietness and simplicity as is, I think, befitting the point this morning. But if you want to take this on, you're going to be at absolute war with our culture. I mean, it should be its own series, not just sermon, let alone the final point of this message. If you've ever had a friend who's been caught up in a pyramid scheme, you've been invited to a a conference center and you didn't know what was about to hit you. Uh, Sheena and I, I was a guest worship leader at a church and this couple seemed so friendly, like, oh, you're a leader. Oh, we get together with leaders. Like, I have this thing. It's like a conference for leaders. You should come and like, okay, we're new. We're newlyweds. I don't think we had kids then. And so we go to this conference center at a hotel and we sit down and the first thing we were told to do, I'll never forget this. And this is before I know what it is. I'm waiting for like, you know, John Maxwell to come out on stage and talk or James Clear or somebody. And close your eyes. Okay. I'm used to this. I grew up in Baptist church. So close your eyes, picture your favorite car, like your dream car. Okay. Is that the car you have? Okay, open your eyes. Why don't you have that car? 
but you don't want it bad enough, right? And now, now cue every reel you've ever seen on Instagram. You don't, you don't have what I have because you're not willing to do what I do. All those like crazy like influencers. That's antithetical to Christianity. Social media is driving discontentment in each of us. Saying what you have isn't enough. There's more. And it's working its way into the church. And there are preachers saying that God's will is for you to be massively rich and influential. And this is heretical. It comes nowhere in the Bible. And it was never touted by any of the faithful men and women of the faith throughout our church history. It's a lie from the pit of hell. And it's meant to distract you from being thankful, grateful in what you want to talk about an influencer. Let's talk about the apostle Paul. I have learned in whatever situation I am to be content. I've, I've, I've known how to, to go with a lot of stuff and to go without anything and to be, be on top of it and be brought down real low. But I know I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me, even if it's just going through prison, Paul would say. That's distinctly Christian. We need to return to this harvest. Harvest, we need to, we need to return. I, I, I can illustrate it for you this way. Through the preparation of this point, I was convicted of my sin of distractedness and discontentment called to Christian simplicity. And my attitude last night was different when my 10-year-old wanted to play Uno. And I was finishing this sermon. And so to sit on the living room floor was just a joy. This is a privilege. Right? Like if you get to go cut your lawn and rake leaves today, what a blessing. That God would give you that. That he'd give us the sun. That he'd give you a yard to rake. A church to gather in today. Let alone his word and his spirit that's here filling the whole place and filling us as believers. We need to return to a distinctly Christian attitude, which is found expressly in two places in scripture. And I am done. Psalm 23, 5, our good shepherd prepares a table before us in the presence of our enemies. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil because you're with me present. God with us. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies in my cup. It overflows. The disciples asked Jesus, Lord, would you teach us to pray? Our father said, give us this day our daily bread. God, give us today just enough to keep us deeply trusting in you. Harvest, could I call us? Could we literally get our heads out of the Instagram reels and the YouTube videos and the promises of more and more and more and more that's working for no one? And could we just take classic Orthodox Christianity, the word of God for what it is, a plain reading of scripture that would yield content, grateful, even simple people.
the world doesn't need anything more loud and gaudy and extravagant. We could make such an impact. Last week we saw through our remembrance. I think we could make such an impact on each other and the world around us through basic gratitude and simplicity.